This podcast is part of the Robots Radio Rocket Club, a program designed to help all podcasts reach their full potential. For information about joining the Robots Radio Rocket Club, check out robotsradio.net. Welcome to Holocron Histories, Star Wars canon versus legends. We're going to take a deep dive into the lore of the Star Wars universe. Hello and welcome to the Holocron Histories podcast where we talk about Star Wars canon versus legend. I am one of your hosts. I am Austin, also known as Teacup. And I am your other host, Ben of Tamaria. And we're here. We're here to talk about a planet. A special planet that is featured in almost every single piece of Star Wars media every medium that you can experience star wars through you will experience this planet in some way yes yes you will and obviously we are on part two of tatooine which is we are going over the canon history of tatooine of the planet and yeah it's like literally in every it's in almost every film almost yeah it's not in empire well, it's not in the sequel trilogy, I should say. It's in... No. Yes, it is. Is it? Oh, no, you're right. It is at the very end of Rise of Skywalker. That's right. So it's it's present in all three eras. Um, obviously, the comics, games, all that fun stuff. And But yeah, Tatooine. We are talking about Tatooine today. So, to kick things right off, Tatooine was a planet located in the Outer Rim of the galaxy removed from the core it had three moons and i will butcher these names uh gormanson germessa and chilinini sounds good to me <laughs> and long ago tatooine was covered in oceans and rainforests but was unknown reasons it became a hot desert world so yeah i don't know how i don't know how i can picture tatooine that is with oceans and rainforests yeah, I don't really know, but we do know that, especially from like Tour games, if you play, if you do the non-violent route, which is if you take HK-47 to the Sand People, the Tusken Raiders Enclave, you can learn a little bit about the history of the Tusken Raiders, and mm-hmm. they talk about how the planet was not always a desert, and it wasn't until... The Cotton Empire came and drank all the resources. I'm sure you talked about that in one from the Legends material. I believe so. Yeah. That was a couple episodes back, so. Yeah. But yeah, Tatooine orbited twin suns, Tattoo 1 and Tattoo 2. The whole planet was covered in harsh deserts, and only a small part of the northern hemisphere could sustain intelligent life. The landscape was covered in sand dunes, mountains, and canyons, which made traversing the planet very difficult. Due to the absence of surface water, those who live in Tatooine had to draw moisture through dry air. And this is why we have moisture farms. That is literally the only purpose. Yeah, moisture evaporators. So they basically just take moisture out of the air, which I don't know how sustainable that really is. Because let's let's just let's think for a minute. We know, let's use our science brains. We know that the rain cycle basically like water evaporates into the air in the sky, they form clouds, those clouds pass down rain, 
it creates groundwater and the cycle continues over. There are no bodies of water on Tatooine. So in theory, how is there moisture in the air? Very good question. Um, I'm going to say the sweat of everyone who somewhat lives on the planet. <laughs> sure, sure. That much. But in re in like real like science, uh, I don't know. Those of you who have played Starfield here are not know it's the new big game, and it's great. Uh, I think Tatooine should look more like Earth does in that game. Yes, yes, I wholeheartedly agree with that. Thing with. Comparing Starfield to Star uh, Star Wars uh, and Tatooine to the Earth of Starfield, Tatooine at least has an atmosphere. Yes, that that's the one one key difference. And if you haven't played Starfield, go play it and go visit Earth because it does not look. It's depressing. good. <laughs> it's very depressing. It uh, if you have anxiety about climate change and impending planet death don't go to earth no no not It'll, at all it's bad it's yeah. very bad yep but uh anyway um so rain was incredibly rare in tatooine coming once a year decade or century when the rain came some plants were able to grow in brief yet glorious period uh, inhabiting the planet were ma- uh, many naved species the largest in which were the corn carnivorous crate dragons the common crate dragon while more plentiful was shadowed by the greater crate dragon uh, which submerged itself under the shifting sands and uses powerful limbs to traverse through the dunes in addition the common bantha and eope species also found a home on the world along with dewbacks rontos womp rats massifs and scurriers and the cities of Tatooine were frequently blasted by sandstorms, and inhabitants always seemed to know when was coming. Not much distinguished the towns, as the poor standard of living was common. The cities were separated from each other by large expanses of deserts. Rural life, on the other hand, was mostly small moisture farms that sold water and food for a major living. I just have one. Where do crate, where do crate dragons get water? Where do dewbacks get water? Where do rontos, womp rats, massive scurs? I mean, I know that crate dragons, well, no, almost every living being eats water in some way. True. These, I have so many questions. George. I mean, with dewbacks, so when I think of a dewback, I think of a camel. Mm-hmm. Kind of a way to where they don't need a whole lot. But yeah, your question still stands. Like, how do these creatures live if there is no inhabitants of water to drink? George, I have questions. And don't say the force. No, because this is not a force question. Because this is not magic. <laughs> this is actual science. Yeah, well, seriously, I, 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 I don't know. Unless they like somehow if... can dig underground and there's like a reservoir under the earth or something. I, I have no idea. If I ever meet George Lucas, this might be one of my questions, along with why didn't Arkin and Vader just blow up Tatooine if they knew the plans were down there? Good point. It's not like either of them really care about the planet. I know yeah. we wouldn't have a movie, but... True. 
I don't know, maybe Jabba the Hutt and the Crime Syndicate with the Huts. I don't know. Who knows? Well, look, look. We already know that they knew that the Huts were funding the rebellion. Good so point. they could That's always true. just say there were traitors to the Empire. Also true. But <laughs> now we have some culture for Tatooine. So an annual holiday celebrated on the planet was Bunta Eve. The holiday was celebrated in honor of Bunta Hel- Hestilic Shadru, a hut who rose to be a god. The economy of Tatooine largely reigned on water and crime, with the hut clan taking near full control over the trafficking and smuggling trades. New civilians had a large time breaking into the criminal market, even though it was the most lucrative than the water market. So people go there specifically to start trying to get crime because it's earns a living. But it's hard to do that when you have, you know, an entire cartel who specifically Mm -hmm. is home to that world. Right. So... So now we are be diving into their history, into the history's planet's history. So in her early history, it was a homeworld to the native Jawa and Tuscan Raider species, and presumably with the vast oceans of surface water, lush rainforests, and flowered fields. According to the legend of Lahan, Tatooine was also known and inhabited by the group called the Kukumagra during this time, but was very little evidence to support the story. Sometime in Tatooine's history, the whole planet became a desert and unknown means. When the oceans dried away, much later, it would be colonized by early settlers and explorers who mistook the planet for a third sun, owning its highly reflective silicate surface. Which, I mean, the entire planet's red, so, yeah. Mm. And then as a result of the sporadic and unsuccessful colonization ventures, the planet became a haven for smugglers and criminal activity, while scattered, isolated settlements of hardworking inhabitants attempted to earn a living in the waste. A long-ago mining boom saw the widespread use of the sand crawlers on the desert plains in effort to mine variable minerals. However, after it was discovered that most valuable minerals could be found on the surface, along with most minerals having unwanted uh, metrolistic properties, the sand crawlers were abandoned and eventually picked up by the native Jawas to use the shelter and mobile bases, from which they collected scrap from thousands of years, crashed spaceships, and failed mining projects. Because the Jawas take everything from you. Period. And then, They're uh, criminals. Jawas criminals are, is what they are. Whoa, 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 whoa. Jawas may be criminals, but they're adorable criminals. I mean, that's true. And Ewoks are murder teddy bears, you know? just this is, And cannibals, apparently. And, well, are they well, cannibals? Do they eat their own? Well, we don't know that for sure. But they eat other people. They do eat people, yes. And then off-worlders elected various cities in the desert, and colonists who decided to stay on the planet built moisture farms. The Bomar Order on Tatooine kept the disembodied brains floating in the jars that hung below the spider-like droid bodies, built a monastery on the planet which would eventually come under the ownership of Jabba Dejajic Churl as his palace. So, Jabba's palace was a monastery for... 
an order that kept disembodied brains. Doesn't surprise me. I mean, it, it is a very, like, darkish palace, so. Yeah. And then most wealth eventually found its way into the city of Mos Espa, and with uh, most of it procured from the gambling and off-world trade, especially through the lucrative black market, the influx of criminal adventures fueled Mos Espa's growth, eventually screwing its regional importance as a hub of economic and financial activity. With high tariffs imposed by the huts, some believe themselves able to escape paying them by doing business in the planet's de facto capital. However, often found themselves scammed and broke, if not gambling, through simple bad luck. Yeah, that's, um, that sucks. I mean, I just don't, don't, don't do, uh, dealings with criminals and gamblers. Mm-hmm. So now we have some scum and villainy. So this is during the in the last decades of the Galactic Republic. Tatooine was known as a haven for smugglers and criminal activity, including slavery. The Sand People regularly attacked Fort Tuscan, earning them the name of Tuscan Raiders. It was the home of the human slave named Shmi Shmi Skywalker and her son Anakin. And then, then we get the events of Phantom Menace, where you know. Qui-Gon, Padme, Jar Jar Banks, R2, and all of them. Obi-Wan go to Tatooine to fix a hyperdrive, and then they find Anakin, and then you know the rest if you watch Phantom Menace. And then we also have the events of the Clone Wars, which is the second film, not the animated series. So, you know, Anakin and Padme go back to the planet, and Anakin... You see his tendency to go to the dark side. Yeah. He killed the he killed the not only the men, the women, but and the children. He killed yeah. them. All. Yeah. It's a and, miracle that I made still fell in love with him after that whole scene. Like Yeah. Hey, I'm a mass murderer. <laughs> and I did it because I hated them. Yep. Yeah. Grant, I mean, I, I, it's hard to condone Anakin's actions, but I can understand in the moment why he did it, because he just saw his mother killed and tortured by Tusken Raiders. I get that. But you didn't have to kill all of them. My whole thing, this is my whole thing about it. He kills the women and children, and I, it's implied that Obi-Wan does know happens mm-hmm. with him. And it's implied that Yoda knows, too, about this situation. Ahsoka is expelled from the Jedi Order for the accusation that she killed a bunch of people. Yeah. But Anakin, they Did. physically knew he killed a bunch of people. <laughs> Granted, they were not- just... They were Tuscans rather than, you know, civilians and whatnot. But still, he, like, just yeah. the act. Right, but he's not expelled. Furthermore, not only is he not expelled from the Jedi Order, they give him someone to teach. Yeah, they give him a promotion from Padawan to Jedi Knight. Yeah. And then gave him a Padawan. 
To be fair, the promotion doesn't come till later. True, but eventually he gets the promotion later down uh, the line. I am just at this point, like, I seriously question the decisions of the Jedi Council. Sometimes I think individuals are good. Like I don't think Mace Windu is a bad guy and I don't think Yoda is a bad guy. I think they're reacting to situations as they see fit, but as a group, they suck. Oh, absolutely. During the Clone Wars and during the Galactic Republic era. Yeah. They, they make very bad, bad, uh, moral decisions. (laughs) And part of it is they're kind of like, and we've talked about this, like they sell out, they become arms of the Senate rather than, right. you know, being independent, being neutral, like they should be. Right. But even back in the old Republic, they're still making questionable decisions. True. I mean, I feel like the best Grand Master of the Jedi Order is to steal Sean, and he still makes incredibly questionable decisions. Yep. Absolutely. Yeah. But. Yeah. It's a whole mess. But. um, For the most part. Tatooine avoided the Clone Wars. And nevertheless. A Jedi led mission to Jabba's palace occurred. With the Jedi hoping to rescue Rota the Hutlet. From the Separatist Alliance. And then later during the war. Chairman Papanodia. And his son Ion. Papanodia headed to Tatooine to track down the bounty hunter Greedo, who had been kidnapped members of their family. Three years after the start of the war, Skywalker fell to the dark side and joined the Sith, old adversaries of the Jedi who long planned to take out over the galaxy, the Galactic Empire, a new regime to establish and replace the Republic started to hunt all Jedi. Skywalker's former master Obi-Wan Kenobi went into hiding on Tatooine, bringing his infant son of the fallen Jedi with him on the desert expanse of Tatooine. Kenobi hoped that he would keep young Luke from his father's evil influence. Kenobi entrusted the boy, Shusmi's stepson, Owen Lars, and his wife, Baru. And then now the time of hardship. So in 9 BBY, the Grand Inquisitor, the fifth brother, and the third sister had landed on Tatooine looking for the Jedi on the run from the Empire. The Jedi, quote-unquote, Nari, Nari, had escaped the Inquisitors originally, but eventually found and killed. The inhabitants of the planet were surprised by the arrival of the Inquisitors, since Tatooine was not part of the Galactic Empire, and the reasons various Imperial organizations, such as the Inquisitorius, did not have jurisdiction on the planet, and therefore the entry of the Inquisitors on the planet outside the Empire's Himmoni, Himmoni, whatever, was illegal. So they're not typically allowed to leave outside the Empire's space. And land on planets that are not part of the Empire. Because the Empire doesn't want bad rap or problems with other planets. But it's not like they care. (laughs) Seriously, like, who cares? (laughs) Yeah. And then later, Bail Organa shows up on Tatooine looking for Obi-Wan Kenobi's help and finding his daughter... Uh, Leia Organa, the third sister, eventually returns to Tatooine looking 
Looking to murder Luke Skywalker, the third sister redeems herself and decides not to hurt Luke and brings him back to his uncles. In the years following Emperor Palpatine's formation of his new order, the great drought on Tatooine scorched the world's surface, impoverishing the many moisture farms of the reliable source of income to produce food and other basic supplies. The situation was not helped by Jabba's thugs collecting quote-unquote water taxes from many towns and isolated settlements across the planet when often resorting to threats and brute force to acquire enough water to, uh, for the crime lord. With Obi-Wan Kenobi witnessing the suffering of the population, he disabled the weapons of the thugs and allowing the populace to chase them, af- chase them off. And later, a young Luke Skywalker attempted to confront the thugs. He was ultimately rescued by Obi-Wan after falling unconscious for a brief scuffle. With the legacy of the Jedi safe, Obi-Wan vowed never to return to town. While a week later, the drought finally ended and Jabba vowed revenge on the man who stolen his water to no avail. See, uh, wherever Obi-Wan goes, he makes enemies somewhere or another. Yeah, I know. He just—he's just always causing trouble. And then, in addition, the Empire's rise uh, prompted the Huts to revise their oftentimes shady business schemes, resulting in a transfer of regional wealth and influence from Mos Espa to Mos Eisley, prompting the slow economic decline of Mos Espa. And then, in two BBY, the former Sith apprentice Maul traveled to Tatooine to hunt down his old nemesis Obi Wan Kenobi. Unable to draw the Jedi Master out of hiding, Maul used the fragment of the Malachor Sith holocron to lure the Jedi Rebel Ezra Bridger out to the planet. Ezra traveled with the C1 series astromech droid Chopper to Tatooine. The two rebels were attacked by Tusken Raiders, who damaged their uh, RZ1. T. Trainer. After being lost in the desert, Ezra and Chopper were rescued by Kenobi, who revealed Maul's deception. Kenobi instructed the two rebels to return to Atolion uh, while defe- uh, while he defeated and fatally wounded Maul in combat. As Maul died in Kenobi's arms, Kenobi confirmed Maul's suspicion that he was hiding the Chosen One. Alright, so this is my beef with Dave. Because, and I don't have a lot of beef with Dave, but I do have some beef with Dave. One of this is stop making me relive Order 66. For serious, like, can you please stop making me relive Order 66? And every, almost every series that has came out on Disney+, Plus, they've redone Order 66. Right. So there's that. Second... Luke is not the chosen one. No. This is confirmed by George himself. Yep. Anakin is the chosen one. I mean, I'm sorry, you all who want to talk about, you know, Ray being the chosen one or Luke being the chosen one or something else, but Anakin is the chosen one. He is the one who brings balance to the force. He defeats, it's through his redemption, he defeats Palpatine. Luke plays a part in that. And maybe Obi, I I can get a point of like Obi Wan believed Luke to be the chosen one because he had decided that Anakin wasn't the chosen one. Right. So I think that is a possible take you could take. But seriously, the people think like Anakin is the chosen one. 
Yes, Anakin's the chosen one, and if you don't agree with that, go watch the newest, like, episode 5 of Ahsoka. That episode straight up shows you Anakin is absolutely the chosen one through that episode. Which, if you want, I have theories about how that little thing is not the world between worlds. And, uh, so I just want to point that it is not, it is not the world between worlds because I don't actually believe it's the world between worlds. I believe it is something else and I have theories, but hop in the discord. Interesting. All right. Well, I need to know more of that later, but, uh, at this point we are going to take a quick mid break and be right back. Welcome to the middle of the show where we take time to thank our patrons. And so thank you to all of our patrons who support us. We greatly appreciate it. We love having you on the show. When you come on, if you would like to join us on the show, you can go to patreon.com slash holocron histories and sign up uh, for our Jedi Master or Dark Lord and Sith tier. And you could come and hang out with us and have a great time with us. And that's great. If you also want to support us, but you can't financially, you can go leave us reviews or ratings and comments on Spotify. If you leave us a five-star review and a kind some kind words, we'll read it out on a future episode of the show. Ben, do we have a comment to read? Uh, not this week. Not this week. Okay. So other than that, like I mentioned before the mid-break, you can come join us on Discord. You can join us on the Cuts Podcasting More Discord server, Ben's Discord server, Ben uh, and Friends Podcasting. You can join us on the Robots Radio Discord. All those links are in the episode description. Come talk about Star Wars with us. We love it. Uh, if you want to chat with us live, you can join us as we go live on seven, at 8 p.m. Eastern on the Ben of Tamaria Twitch channel. We typically go live on Tuesdays. I know we're going live on Monday this week, but yeah, I don't know if that's it. it, it my work schedule is all over the place right now. Uh, Monday might be the best going forward. We will see. Um, right. So, so stay tuned. Yeah, stay tuned for more information. Um. And then lastly, you can catch us on our other shows. I host the Assassin's Creed Lorecast and the Dragon Age Lorecast. You can find me there with my other co-host, SheCup. Or you can find Ben on his other shows, the Wizarding World Lorecast, the Final Fantasy Lorecast, and newly, the Witcher Lorecast. Yes. And I am so, so happy and excited to be on that show now as a permit host. Have you released the episodes with you as permahost? Yes, we have one episode from last week, and our newest episode will go live on Wednesday. Woohoo! So there will be two episodes with me start as of Wednesday as permahost. It's so much fun being on that show. And expect me and Toasty to go off the rails and have side tangents because we are very similar in the ways of The Witcher, so we are very averse in The Witcher lore. All the trolls off the rails. That podcast. It's like there's a podcast with off the rails in their name. Yes, there is. And I, I'm pretty. Yeah, I think you're right. Elder Scrolls <laughs> off the rails. I don't even know if they're still releasing episodes, but they're in the network. Mm-hmm. 
Yep. But uh, I don't have anything else to add. Do you? I don't think so. All right. Hop back in. Let's get to it. All right. Now that we're back, war finally comes to Tatooine. So shortly after the Battle of Scarif, in the Galactic Civil War, the droids R2-D2 and C-3PO land on Tatooine's surface in an escape pod after the CR-90 Corvette, the Tantive IV, was captured by the Imperial One-Class Star Destroyer Devastator. And then we get the events of New Hope, so go watch A New Hope. It's great. It's the first Star Wars film. And you'll, you'll see that, and you'll get the line from Obi-Wan Kenobi. He's like... <gasps> These these blaster shots shots can only be accurate from an imperial storm tro- uh, stormtrooper, and then you get throughout the entire film and they can't hit a darn thing. Yeah, yeah, they're embarrassing. It's so bad. It's like we get that one great line. It's like, oh, they're great marksmen, and then we get to the gate throughout the entire series. They're not good marksmen. <laughs> no, they really are not. And then uh, sometime during the Galactic Civil War, the Tusken Raiders, under the leadership of a Juland general, uh, attacked local settlements. He and his followers were ultimately defeated by a gang of mercenaries located on world. And then having allied with the Rebel Alliance, the gang led the rebels into a series of successful operations on Tatooine that would conclude with the defeat of the Empire's 68th Legion and Tatooine Garrison. Nevertheless, the Empire would come to reestablish this presence on the desert world with Lieutenant Ardo Banch uh, serving as an officer in the garrison. And then shortly after the Battle of Yavin, a shuttle with the emissaries and the employee of Jabba who were meant to negotiate a deal with to provide support to the Empire at Weapons Factory Alpha on uh, Kaimun 1, was intercepted by the Alliance to restore the Republic, and a strike team consisting of Han Solo, Luke Skywalker, and Leia Organa proceeded to the factory, infiltrating and destroying it. And then the negotiations having failed, Darth Vader returned to Tatooine to negotiate with the deal with Jabba in person. After the negotiations were complete, Vader remained on Tatooine shortly to wipe out a Tusken Raider tribe, and hire bounty hunters Boba Fett and Krishantan to ascertain the identity of the pilot who destroyed the first Death Star. Fett tracked down and dueled Skywalker, who had returned to the late Ben Kenobi's dwelling for education, learning his name and reporting to Vader. So wait, so not only did Anakin wipe out one tribe already during his time as a Jedi, he wiped out another tribe when he was a Sith Lord. <laughs> He really and hates the, Tuscans. <laughs> I know. And we talked about this briefly in one episode, but we talked about Darth Crate, who is a Tuscan Sith Lord. Uh, or that they interact in a little bit, but that's more Legends material mm-hmm. than it is. But yeah, he has a lot of problems. And like there is some story in the old Legend comics where he and Anakin interact as Jedi and he kind of learns what Anakin did on Tatooine. Yeah. Yeah. And then, after learning he had a son, Vader traveled to Tatooine with his crew, consisting of Dr. Chili Leona, uh, Lona Alfra, 
and BT-1 to investigate the Lars homestead and Kenobi's home, when the Rebel Alliance split its forces up to escape the Empire after its major loss at the Battle of Hoth, the young human Volda Clam and her pet Gaberworm Grutal uh, found themselves on Tatooine after their time with the Rebellion on Hoth. Vader also returned to Tatooine in the aftermath of the uh, Battle of Hoth and the duel on Cloud City to investigate the Lars homestead once more. Mm. And then following the Battle of J- uh, Jakara? Jerka? Uh, Fett delivered Solo, now frozen carbonite, to Jabba, where he served as a wall decoration. When Alphara had taken over the Spark Internal, her allies, Sana Staris and Kofun Faris, traveled throughout the galaxy to collect those who carried a, cared about Alphara to save her. And then they traveled to Tatooine to recruit, recruit Clam, who was sitting atop uh, Glittle in a town among several other residents, though Clam ultimately did not accompany them as they traveled to a rebellion rendezvous to recruit Magna Tovel. And then we get to the events of Return of the Jedi, where, you know, we see R2 and C-3PO go to Jabba, negotiate to get Han back. Um, then, you know, Luke comes in, saves the day, and they try to be executed, and that's when Boba Fett falls into the Sarlacc pit. Yes. Great movie. Yes. My personal favorite Strange movie. Right. Not what I think is objectively the best, but my personal favorite. Well, you heard it here, everyone. <laughs> and then the Galactic Empire annexed Tatooine prior to the Battle of Endor. Which makes sense, because why would you deal with the planet that troublesome? Right. But I wouldn't. And then it makes sense probably if they do that between once Jabba dies, it probably makes sense because there's so much instability. Yep. All the other crime lords trying to fight for power to get to become Daimyo and all that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. As we see. Yes. And then new days ahead. So following the uh uh, crossing of the Imperial rule, numerous crime syndicates attempted to build legitimacy as mining companies, with one such company, the Red Key Raiders, afraid that the New Republic would eventually stamp out their operations on the planet. These companies tried to take advantage of the power vacuum caused by the death of Jabba. However, Fett lived on, having only been knocked unconscious for an unknown length of time, and dug up himself out of the Great Pit. After he burned his way out, so there's that too. An exhausted and suffering wounds for the, from the encounter collapse, and where Jawa Sandcrawler scavenges the wreckage from Jabba's sail barge, including a set of Mandalorian armor, the enigmatic lawman Cobb Vanth then attained Boba Fett's armor, and then the Jawa Sandcrawler had went on to defeat on the Red Key gangster Adwin Charu. And then in a, uh, five, and by 5 ABY, Vanth had became the mayor and sheriff of Moss Pelgo and de- dedicated his life protecting the town from the Red Key Raiders. He also enlisted Jabba's former Beastmaster, Malakiri, 
and helping to tame two unruly Rontos to raise the hutlet named Bargo. With Malalaki's help, Cobb stuck a, struck a deal with the local Tuscan raiders to protect the town in exchange for water and receiving a pearl from the stomach of the crate dragon. This alliance proved important to repelling an attack by the Red Key Syndicate, uh, led by L- Logan Mul- Mulvallen. And then in 9 ABY, the bounty hunter Din Djarin defeated a pursuing bounty hunter in the dogfight. His ship, the Rizacrest, was damaged and landed on the Parasility ran by Pali Moto and Moss Isley while seeking work to pay for the repose of the local cantina. He met Toro Calican, a young bounty hunter looking to join the guild and capturing Fennec Shan, a well-trained mercenary. And then we have the events of Mandalorian. So, yeah. Go watch Mandalo- Mando Season 1, Season 2. The majority of the, all the Tatooine stuff is on there. Where you see Mando go after Fennec. Then you go and see him take down a crate dragon. You're on mute. Different seasons, but yeah. Mm-hmm. And then eventually, Fett returned to... Uh, Tatooine accompanied by Shand and took over Jabba's palace the criminal empire once belonged to the hut after killing Bib Fortuna which honestly good riddance I did not like Bib at all and just yeah he got he got fat yeah and then, uh, sometime later, Fett had attacked and was injured by the Order of the Night Wind, which was later revealed to have been sent by Jabba's cousins, the twins, who warned, uh, who wanted to acquire the territory that formerly belonged to their de- deceased cousin. And then we have the events of Boba Fett, or Book of Boba Fett. And, yeah, a lot of things happen in that season series, two, Mandalorian 2.5 that's literally what it is because Mando shows up but yeah you see Krishantan again which is fantastic in live action that's the best thing about that book of Boba Fett and we get a Nubu uh, one starfighter and then now we get to the resistance era uh, so with the destruction of the Sith internals final order fleet on Exegol the first order began to clap collapse as people across the galaxy rose against the tyrannical regime ending the First Order Resistance War. Sometime after the battle, Rey traveled to the Lars Moisture Farm on Tatooine with BB-8 where she buried Leia's lightsaber and uh, Leia's and Aunt Luke Skywalker lightsabers. Using her own newly crafted one in their place, when a local asked her name, she forewent Palpatine's lineage, going by the name Rey Skywalker, with the blessing of the four spirits of Luke and Leia. Rey and BB-8 then looked into the distance as the twin sons of Tatooine rose. Yeah. So, you know, a homage to Luke when he's seen the twin sons and all that from A New Hope. Well, it's interesting. It is a very like circular, you know, it's like, you know, George Lucas' famous line, Star Wars is like poetry, it rhymes. Mm-hmm. Luke watches the setting suns of Tatooine, whereas Ray watches the rising ones. Yep. Which is kind of the 
full circle idea there regardless of how you feel about ray skywalker or ray whatever or the prequel or the sequel trilogies in general that's that's a whole different story um and then now we have behind the scenes so tatooine first appeared in the 1977 film star wars episode 4 new hope or the first installment of the star wars original trilogy as its names back then it was literally just called star wars and and 1977 it was just called star wars there was no episode number or anything like that and then it went to appear in 1983 film star wars episode 6 return of the jedi and in all three films of the prequel trilogy the planet wasn't actually named in episode 4 the director george lucas called it utapau in all the film's first drafts only to rename it in the fourth draft after seeing the movie uh, movie's desert location Tatooine, French spelling, and Tunisia, Tunisia, um, for other names and whatnot. And then filming of Tatooine scenes took place around Andurba, Matmata. The place is in Tunisia. It's all in the you know Death Valley, California. Yeah. In Arizona. Yes. Uh, Anthony Forrest, the actor who played Luke Skywalker's friend uh, Lays Lonzer, is ultimately cut scene. Uh, is an ultimately cut scene in Stormtrooper Wanton and Moss Eisley recall the filming in Tunisia to be freewheeling experience he could enjoy. So apparently, it was fun to to film the Tatooine scenes. Apparently. And then according to Forrest, the moment had the spirit of independent film production with Lucas even personally applying more dirt to their costumes in which he declared a moment of great filmmaking that helped create the feel of the Star Wars universe. Forrest rationalized that Lucas did so because Tatooine was where was a world where water needed to be harvested so people on the planet would not waste it extensively cleaning their clothes or equipment. And the heat in Tunisia was an issue for everyone on set. Forrest was sunburnt during the filming in Tunisia, which made acting in the Stormtrooper armor difficult. However, he was nevertheless very happy to share a scene with Alec Guinness. So he was one of the ones that asked him, like, in the land speeder, essentially. And then in 1999 film Star Wars Episode One: The Phantom Menace, Tatooine's map was actually a map of the real planet Mars. So they literally just took a map of Mars and used it. There you go. And then lastly, we have real-world similarities. So on September 15th, 2011, a planet, actually a Saturn-like gas planet, in a real-world universe was discovered with two suns. The official name is Coupler 16b, but many call it the real Tatooine. Even NASA calls it a Tatooine-like planet. Isn't that great when NASA actually just refers to planets that are literally just from Star Wars in our own real-life universe? Uh-huh. <laughs> it's like, oh, that's Tatooine. That's just Tatooine. There you go. 
And then a Lucasfilm limited employee was president of the NASA's news conference. Kepler 16b is 200 light years from Earth in the constellation Cygnus, the Swan. According to the researchers, the star system is visible to amateur astronomers. Coincidentally, the planet was discovered a day before the release of the Star Wars Blu-rays in North America. <laughs> Interesting. It was destined. It was fate. Hmm. And then it's Tatooine. It's Tatooine. <laughs> and then January eleventh, twenty twelve, two more gas giants that orbit two suns each have been found. One is Kepler thirty four B, which orbits a sun like star once every two hundred and eighty nine days at the same distance from them as the Earth is from our sun. Kepler thirty four B is located forty nine hundred light years away from Earth. And then the other, Kepler 35b, which orbits each of the suns once every 131 days at a distance of 60% of the distance between Earth and the sun. Kepler 35b's suns are smaller than our sun and located 5,400 light years away from Earth. And then the Centaurus constellation contains a planet that, like Tatooine, orbits two suns, or two stars, which scientists once believed to be physically impossible. Well, there you go. George Lucas was ahead of your guys' time. (laughs) And then some critics have seen Lucas use a desert planet as extensively derivative of the Frank Herbert's Arcus from the Dune novel series. Tatooine could have been taken as a derivative of the planet Mongo from the Flash Gordon series, serials. Present as a desert planet, too, in some media, the assumption of strongly supported by the presence of the starport Gordon on the planet Aquilia in the episode 4's Rough Draft, the same planet which was later named Utapau in the second draft, where Gordon is briefly mentioned, Utapau is noted above, was ultimately renamed Tatooine. I think, like, obviously, George Lucas has read the Dune series. And we already know from interviews, from documentaries, that he took a lot of inspiration from Flash Flash Gordon. Like, he just wanted to tell a classic story. And so he took inspiration from the other media around him. I don't think that's a bad thing, because he still creates his own thing. And, like, yeah, we have Spice Runners, and we have all kinds of things that are similar to the Dune series. But... It's not that big a deal as some people want to make it out to be. Being in the 1970s and like sci-fi really, I mean, before, I mean, there was Star Trek, but like sci-fi fantasy in the way that George did things for Star Wars was completely new. And yeah, I mean, back then, like there was only so much to like get inspiration from. Right. So, yeah, there's going to be similarities between Star Trek, Dune, uh, Flash Gordon. I mean, there's going to be similarities because there's just not a whole lot back then. But, right. you know, it became its own. And now we have the sensation that we're still watching, you know, 45, 50 years later. Mm-hmm. So, but yes, that is what we have for Tatooine. All right. Well, I think any last thoughts for Tatooine? Other than um, it's a hive of scum and villainy. Uh, it's hot, very hot. But 
I will say you get the best droid companion off this planet. It's true. All That's the best all droids. Say. Go to Tatooine. And Jawas. There's Jawas Jawas. Jawas are great. Criminals. <gasps> Criminals and thieves. I love Jawas. <laughs> but unless unless you play Swotor, you get a Jawa who lives on Hoth. That is, I'm trying to remember what, I can't remember if that's the Sith Warrior or Bounty Hunter storyline. It's one of the two that you get a Jawa companion, but the, his Jawa tribe lives on Hoth. It's like, that's interesting. And, cause you, and you can actually ask, why are you on Tatooine? It's like, I hate the heat. <laughs> it's like, good, oh, good, good. okay, cool. But uh, mm-hmm. yes, that that's all. that's all I have to add. All right. Well, then I think we're ready to wrap up here. Cool. So thanks for listening, everybody. And may the force be with you. Thank you for listening to Holocron Star Wars Canon versus Legends. You can find us on the Robots Radio Discord at robotsradio.net. You can also follow us on Twitter at SWHoloHistories and contact us at holocronhistories at gmail.com. Are you a fan of Elden Ring? Are you confused about the lore as pretty much everyone else? We've got you covered. Check out the Elden Archives, a lore podcast that helps to explain every little confusing detail about the lands between. Things like what exactly happened on the Night of the Black Knives, or what we really know about characters like Nicola. Just like the show you're listening to now, we're on the Robots Radio Network, so you know it'll be good. Wondering how to find the show? Easy. Either go to robotsradio.net or search Elden Archives on whatever podcatcher you're using right now. Bookmark the show for later, and we'll see you in the lands between. Again, that's The Elden Archives, a FromSoft Lorecast, available everywhere.